Well, let's uh, let's jump back into First Timothy, and uh, so if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me back to First Timothy. If you're uh, brand new, or if you haven't been in class in a little while, uh, we're on a verse by verse study of the book of First Timothy. Uh, really, the book of First Timothy is helping us to know what is a healthy church and how do we become and grow as a healthy church. Uh, let me start the PowerPoint here, and I'll let you follow along with that. And then there's also some notes in the back for those of you that are interested. Um, Roger, there there's still notes there. Or are they all gone? Okay, very good. So if you need some notes, um, there's some back there, and you can help yourself there. Okay, let's get this going. So we're calling the, the title of our study Instructions for a Healthy Church. Really what's happening is, uh, as uh, many of you have, have remembered, oh, hang on here. Okay, we'll try that. So uh, you may remember that what's happened is Paul's been to Ephesus. He ministered there for a number of years. He leaves, and uh, at some point he hears, hey, there's there's some things going down that, that have um, become problematic in the church. And so uh, uh, they go, and, and he leaves Timothy there, his young mentor, his uh, the guy that he'd poured into in discipleship ministry, and leaves Timothy there to continue the work until Paul can come and join him. So what we're thinking about when we're looking at 1 Timothy is a church that is in need of care, a church that's in need of some attention in terms of some of the, some of the challenges that they were facing. And as, we, have we got, as we've gotten into this book, we see that some of those challenges would, would incur, um, would be, I can't talk today. I talked too much this weekend. Um, let's try that again. So, so one of the problems that they're facing is leaders that are teaching bad doctrine, the leaders that are um, not ministering, not shepherding to the people in faithful ways. And we learn about some of that in chapter one. And Paul uses his own testimony to talk about how God worked mightily in his life and the importance of sound doctrine and walking in those ways. So uh, as, as we chart through the book, we, we, we can say what, what we're learning as we, as we eavesdrop on the conversation between Paul and Timothy what we what we learn is what is a healthy church supposed to be and what are some of the things we ought to be doing to get there. Paul's using it as a corrective, and I think we can use it, uh, although by God's grace we're not facing all these same challenges necessarily in our church, but we can still learn what are the things we ought to be doing to grow in spiritual health. So that's kind of where we are. And uh, just by way of review, chapter 1, we've talked about the importance of love. Chapter 1, verse 5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And, and we, ought to, we ought to never forget that that's what we're trying to do. Our goal is not just to be orthodox in our doctrine, although sound doctrine is good. And our goal is not just to have programs that are effective, although that's good. Our goal as a church body is love. And we think what Jesus told us, about uh, the two great commandments, right? A love for God and a love for one another. And those those two pursuits really guide everything that we ought to do as a church. We saw in chapter 2 the importance of prayer, the importance of having godly leadership, uh, men and women that would le- that would lead by example, that would be growing in their own righteousness. And then talking about in chapter 3, as we looked at last time, uh, leadership teams that are qualified in their character, they're qualified in their giftedness, they're qualified in the skills that they have, and that we ought to be very careful about who we put into positions of formal leadership. 
Uh, you'll remember uh, that Paul tells us basically you have two groups of qualified men that are the formal leaders in a local church, uh, the elders that are the shepherds. They're looking at the, the spiritual care of the church. And then the deacons, and those are those that come alongside and work with the elders uh, with a lot of the practical service and administration that's involved in the church. And then we also looked at women uh, though they don't have a formal title, that, that qualified and godly women work with the deacons and work in all sorts of ministries to accomplish uh, the things that need to happen. So that's kind of the vision for the leadership there. And uh, we, we concluded our time at the end of chapter 3 last week. So that takes us to chapter 4. And uh, if you want to look at chapter 4, verse 1, that's where we're going to be. Chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience, their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. Verse 6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ. Christ Jesus constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is this, uh, for it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. And we'll just stop right there. So what are some uh, instructions for a healthy church? Let's uh, let's just keep right on going. Looking at chapter 4, verse 1, we'll, uh, we'll anchor it on this thought, okay? Chapter 4, verse 1, be warned about false doctrine. Nourish yourself on sound doctrine. Um, really, he gets into a section here where he comes back to that theme that he started in, ver- in chapter 1 on the importance of sound teaching and sound doctrine. And, and what he's, what he's going to do in chapter 4, and th- this is really important, he's going to say, this is why sound doctrine is so important. And he's going to give us a prediction about what's going to happen as time goes on and as more and more false doctrine infiltrates local churches. What's, and look at chapter 4, verse 1. What's going to happen? Some are going to fall away. Chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. Um, that's a really sobering warning, isn't it? That there are men and women in churches today that would profess Christ, perhaps even in our own church, who at some point in the future are going to stop believing and they're going to abandon true Christianity. And uh, that, that's just, I mean, that, that should just take our breath away because we love each other and, and we, we don't want to see that happen, you know, in this congregation or, or really in any congregation. And uh, the, 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 the common theme, when you read about 
professing Christians who fall away from the faith, the, the common theme that you will see over and over again, Hebrews talks about this, First John talks about this, uh, here in First Timothy we see it, is that there is a falling away that happens because lies and false doctrine are being embraced. And this, this goes back, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. The reason sound doctrine is so important is it keeps us on the path of true Christianity. It keeps us loving God and loving neighbor. And when we start to entertain false doctrine, it, it starts to bring us off the path, even to this, this shipwreck sort of scenario where somebody abandons Christianity and falls away from the faith. Now, look with me how Paul develops this, because this is really insightful what he says. Why are people going to fall away? Well, notice, first of all, people fall away due to lies and false doctrine. That's verse 2. By means of the, well, the end of chapter 1 says, they're paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So notice he talks about um, deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, and the hypocrisy of liars. The common denominator in all three of those is what? Falsehood, right? Falsehood. Things are wrong. And so th- th- this is why false doctrine is so dangerous. It's not just, oh, hey, I'm, I'm not believing the right things. Guys, we live out of our doctrine, we, we do life out of what we really believe. Uh, all weekend, as we were training disciples and biblical counselors, one of the reasons, and we've been telling them this for three weeks, is that we counsel out of our theology. Um, you do parenting. You think about your unbelieving adult child. Uh, you handle a work situation conflict. Um, you prioritize your finances in your family. All of those things and a thousand other decisions that we make in life are driven by the things that we believe are true. The, the, the worldview, the doctrine. You, you, you think, well, what does the Trinity have to do with my finances? Well, there probably is a connection there. But don't think theology is just, you know, the Trinity and the hypostatic union and stuff like that. Think of doctrine as everything that you believe about life, about God, about people, about problems, about goals, about solutions, um, what's important. That, that's doctrine. That's our worldview. And, and what Paul is saying is the reason it's so important to get those things right is that if you begin to stray off into false doctrine or believing things that aren't true, that starts to take your life off course because we live out of what we believe. Does that make sense? So, so uh, this is, I feel like I'm, re- I'm repeating the, the counseling training, but, you know, bad theologians make bad counselors. Meaning, if we are believing wrong things, we're going to give bad advice to people, and even maybe worse than that, we're not going to be doing the right things in life because we have the wrong belief system that's driving that. So you may not think of yourself as a theologian, but actually you are. We're all theologians in the sense that we all believe things about God and life and ourselves and, you know, what's important in life. And and that belief system is what drives our decisions. And Paul is saying, be really, really careful because we are prone to wander away from sound doctrine. 
And, and in fact, there will be people that come in who intentionally mislead. Look back at the text there. Uh, people who come in, deceitful spirits, the doctrines of demons, the hypocrisy of liars. So that's saying p- people that on purpose are introducing wrong ideas into Christianity. And, and we can think about a lot of those today, right? There, there are some really misguided ideas in Christianity today. Uh, we talked recently about complementarity, the, the roles that God has for men and women and how those are being challenged and, and um, uh, weakened in many ways. Uh, we can talk about marriage. We can talk about... Um, what do you want to talk about? What, what, what's, what, what have you been thinking about that, that, that you see Christian theology being challenged? Just, just some ideas here. Yeah. Oh, wow. We control the universe with our thoughts. Yes. Yeah, there's New Age theology all over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the power of positive thinking and, and, you know, thinking things into reality. Sure. Yeah. What else? What else do you see? What's that? The woke thing. The woke thing. Sure. Uh-huh. Wokeness. Identity and sexuality. Identity and sexuality. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, so, so these are areas where we have to be careful. Now, now notice, what, what was Paul facing here? Um, on your notes there, um, people fall, fall away due to lies and doctrine. People also fall away due to hypocritical teachers. Um, this is interesting. He's just spent a whole chapter telling us, here's the sort of leaders you want. And what was the thing he said over and over and over and over again? These are men and women of integrity. These are men and women of sound doctrine. These are men and women who are above reproach. And now he's going to contrast that with these teachers that are what? They're hypocrites. They say one thing and do something different. That's a warning sign. Not that any of us are perfect, but what he's saying is the sort of leaders you're interested in are leaders that have a continuity between their life and their doctrine. And when you see someone purporting some doctrine, some Christian blog, some new book, uh, you know, some... Uh, podcast that you're listening to and it's like huh um what i'm hearing you know sounds decent but um man i i, I just see uh, an incongruity with how they're living that i don't see them living their faith in terms of what they're teaching it's interesting uh many of you heard kevin carson who was here this weekend great brother dear friend and pastor out in uh, ozark missouri and i recorded a podcast with him on friday and our, our podcast is on developing discernment about the spiritual sources that we listen to. So you dial in a blog, you dial in a podcast, you know, Amazon's featuring some, you know, Kindle Christian book and they're offering it for 99 cents. It sounds good. You download it. And all of a sudden you realize that we have spiritual authorities, spiritual sources all around us. And that's really unique to our generation. You know, Christians of years past, they have their pastor, their local church. They might have a, a pastor who travels through town and, and teaches, you know, occasionally. But they, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have blogs. They didn't have tape, cassette tape ministries. Remember those guys back in the 80s? Some of you are going, what's a cassette tape? Ask your parents. They'll tell you what that is, okay? And ask them about 8-tracks, too, while you're at it. Um, Anyway, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm bringing back 70s for some of you guys. Don't go there. Uh, but anyway, um, right? And, and you, Christians for, for generations didn't have anything like that. 
So now we are inundated with spiritual authorities in our lives telling us how to think, telling us what to believe, telling us what to do. Uh, so Kevin and I talked about, well, how do you vet those sources? How do you show discernment so that you're like, oh, I love this podcast, this is great, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're listening to that person for a year, and now you've moved in your doctrine in the wrong direction. Because what sounded good and sounded authoritative and sounded biblical was actually coming from a wolf in sheep's clothing. Or, or, or maybe, or maybe it was a misguided sheep. <laughs> That's possible too. But, um, so people fall away due to lies and false doctrine. They fall away due to hypocritical teachers. Thirdly, um, we see an example here of what Paul was dealing with with Timothy in the church of Ephesus is people who are setting up rules that are not in the Bible. So listen to some of these. They were saying things like this. You can't get married or you're sinning. Uh, you need to not eat those foods uh, or you'll be sinning. And, and you know, Paul's saying, hey, they're going beyond Scripture. That's just not true. Uh, there could have been a, a Jewish influence here in regard to the foods that were being restricted. Um, you remember Paul, as he's talking to, to the folks in Corinth, they were talking about, hey, maybe we shouldn't get married. If Jesus is going to come back, maybe it's better to just forbid marriage. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You know, it's not that you have to forbid marriage. I mean, be wise about it, but, you know, marriage can be a good thing too. And so, and, and this, this is, this is a, maybe a, something to just be careful of. Anytime we hear a source, a spiritual source, a book, a blog, podcast, Bible teacher, saying, you need to not do this, or you need to def- definitely do this, and you're looking in your Bible going, well, it sounds right, but I just don't see it there, then that we need to be really suspicious about adding to the Word of God in that way, um, in, in terms of uh, what people are teaching. So, so we need to recognize the reality that, that some will fall away and recognize and correct false doctrine. How are we going to do that? By looking to the word of God. What does Paul do? Paul doesn't say they're wrong because I say so. What? He says, he says they're wrong because why? Because God created all those things to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if, is, if it is to be received with gratitude for it's sanctified by the means of the word and God and prayer. Uh, you say, he's not saying something new there. That, that happened with Peter and the book of Acts and the vision of the sheet that comes down with all the animals, rise, kill, eat, where God declared, um, all, all foods clean. But, but really that, that, that vision is designed to say, hey, the gospel is available to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. That's not, that's not forbidden anymore, so to speak. Um, so, so we know that how we get through false doctrine, how we recognize it and correct it is by going back to the word of God. Okay, so some are going to fall away. We have to be uh, uh, just aware of that. Now, what do spiritual leaders do? Paul, writing to Timothy, who's the pastor elder of the church there, what do spiritual leaders do to try to help in a situation like this? Well, notice verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. So, one of the things that spiritual leaders are supposed to do is to point out false doctrine and those who teach it. You see that here? Spiritual leaders expose and warn about false doctrine and those who teach it. Paul is writing to Timothy saying, you've got to go talk to your people about this. 
Uh, that, that's one of the reasons that, um, I mean, as, as much as there is to do in the church, uh, the, I want you to know that the elders here work hard to be aware of what's going on in the larger Christian circle so that when we see threats to our church's health, when we see threats to our church's unity, when we see trends that are misguided or unbiblical in some way, we're going to come and talk to you guys about that. And we're going to say, hey, you know, we're not, we're not trying to throw rocks at people, but we're trying to say this trend in Christianity, this, this author, this blog, this podcast, this Bible teacher is, is out of alignment with the things of God. And while well, we've done some of that recently in terms of, um, uh, critical theory, we've done some of that in terms of some of the other stuff we talked about with, with government and, and some politics and, you know, things that none of us really likes to talk about. But, but these are issues that threaten the fidelity of our doctrine, the purity of our church, and the unity that's such a precious gift here. Um, so that, that's part of our role in doing that. And, and, and can I just say this too? I, I appreciate it because th- this is not like, you know, just the elder's job. I am thankful because as we interact with all of you, and I think we're just hanging out, um, I think we have a very mature and discerning church. Uh, and in fact, uh, we, we enjoy just hanging out and talking because, you know, many of you are saying, hey, well, I was reading this blog. What about this guy? Or, you know, I was reading this thing the other day and it just didn't sound right. And that, that's what we need to do. We need to help each other in this endeavor. It's, it's not like it's just the job of the elders to do that. This is a whole church effort. Um, but, but the elders bear a particular responsibility when it comes to exposing and warning. So, and, and just... I want you to see this too, because I think some, sometimes Christians get a little bit nervous when a pastor calls out a false teacher by name. Uh, and I just want you to see here that, that that's part of the mandate to elder pastors, uh, it is to be aware of what's going on and to expose and warn other believers, especially those in their own congregations, about false doctrine and those who teach it. And likewise, not, not just, we're not just saying, don't do that, don't be careful here, but notice the flip side, right? In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, who's what? Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. So it's, it's not just a ministry of, don't do this, don't do this, look out, be careful. It's a ministry of saying, be aware of this, but here's what the Bible really teaches. And, and, and the reality is, guys, we want a major on sound doctrine and we want a minor on calling out false doctrine. There's a difference there, okay? We could spend all day talking about false doctrine. Well, that's, that's not really where we want to go. Where we want to go is to spend most of our time talking about sound doctrine and how to apply it. Okay, it makes sense? Is that good? Okay, so number two. Uh, train yourself in godliness. He's going to say, uh, first of all, be careful, right? Be warned about false doctrine. Nourish yourself on sound teaching. Th- these are efforts of a healthy church. Here's, the, here's a, a second effort of a healthy church. If we're going to grow, train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in godliness. Verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Now, no, ladies, ladies, let me just help you with that, okay? That's not a knock on women especially old women, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with that in just a minute, so just don't let that offend you, okay? It's, it's not personal. 
On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Okay, so let's look at this. Okay, ladies, listen to me on this. I'm going to help you. Avoid worldly tales. The word Paul uses here, first of all, it's the only time in the New Testament it's used. And so it's one of those words, it's kind of hard, like, what does it mean? We, we would, a, a modern day equivalent would be old wives' tales. Okay, now when, ladies, when you hear old wives' tales, you're not personally offended by it because we know we're not, we're not criticizing the whole feminine population in saying that, right? What he's saying is, you know, it's those fables, those tales, those, those, those conversations that are just the old wives' tales, right? They're uh, gossipy, unhelpful, sort of things. He's just saying, you know what, just, just avoid those sorts of conversations and that sort of, you know, entertainment uh, at one level. Don't, don't waste your time on that. Don't waste your time on that. Instead, what should we be focused our time on? He says, focus your time training yourself to be godly. And I wish I had six weeks to just talk about ways we could do this. Um, what does this mean? If you were to think about your life, how you spend your time, what your schedule is, what you spend your money on, what your priorities are, and just say, if I'm, if I'm looking that objectively, do I see a regimented, intentional program to make me like Jesus as much as possible? That's what he's saying. Train yourself to be godly. Discipline. The, the word discipline has the idea of training here. And um, so how do we do that? How do, how do we train ourselves for godliness? How do we train ourselves to be more like Christ? What do, and I, I'd love to just learn from one another. What are things you do that help you? And let, let's, let's help each other here. Yeah, Penny? Read the Bible every day. Yeah, read the Bible every day. Yeah, just regularity in the Word of God. Yeah, have you noticed this? Um, so much of our Christian life amounts to exposure, doesn't it? And if you just go through life, you're going to get an overexposure in worldliness. Right? That's just what you're going to get because we live in the world. So if, if all we're getting is news... Social media, um, things that go on in a secular workplace environment. If, if that's all we're getting, sports, and you know what? All those things are important. All those things are, are part of, I think, faithful stewardship. Um, if that's all we're getting as exposure, what happens if that's your exposure over time? You start thinking like that. You start prioritizing life like that you start sounding like that you start valuing the same things that are valued there and all of a sudden um you're a very different person so we have to counter exposure to the world with exposure to the things of god and uh, I, I don't I don't think we realize how important that is and how much we are affected 
merely by, you're like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not out there watching all these horrible shows and I'm not participating in all these horrible things. Great. Praise the Lord. But you know what? Sometimes it's, it's the, it's the acceptable forms of worldliness overexposed that really gets us into trouble. Do you see that in your own heart? I see that in mine. And so Paul is saying, if we're going to train ourselves to be godly, there needs to be an intentional counter-exposure movement. Uh, and let's help each other with that, right? Uh, it could be something as simple as when, when we get together to hang out, we might talk about, you know, how A&M did or Baylor, how Baylor did. Um, you know, it might be, you know, some things that are nice and great in life. But can we major in conversation on the things of God? Can we make that the regular sort of just what we do? Um, yeah. Yeah. Keep yourself unstained from the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are some other things you do to train yourself to be godly? Yeah, vibrant conversation, Christ-centered conversation with friends. Absolutely. Okay. What else do you guys do? Pray. Yeah, pray. Yeah, yeah. That's the other half of exposure to the Word of God. And 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 I was reading. I was telling my kids last night. Uh, we were prepping for Pastor Terry's message uh, last night by reading Matthew six and just kind of talking about it. And um, we're talking about prayer and prioritizing prayer. And I was reading uh, my my historic hero John Newton who uh, prioritized prayer, and he, and he said this, and maybe you'll relate to Newton. He said, um, I'm just really distracted when I try to pray. And he didn't have an iPhone, <laughs> right? You know, it's like, you think we're distracted. Um, and, and so, he, and, and Newton had this really interesting way. He said, so he, here's how I counteract distraction in prayer. He said, um, as I'm reading the Bible story, I try to insert myself in the Bible story in some way. You know, so if I, if I'm reading about Jesus, um, telling the disciples how to pray, like Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, right? Newton would picture himself in the crowd hearing this and seeing the faces of the Pharisees going, oh, you know, because they're, he's he's kind of countering the the Pharisees there and, and hearing about the love of the Heavenly Father who already knows what we're going to pray and he knows our needs and, and, uh, he's providing daily bread and he provides provision of grace. And so, so Newton would say, "I, I, I put myself in the story and then it's like he, he would start his prayer with God as if he were in the story talking to God about what's going on. And I thought, well, that's really creative. Um, but, but a great way to engage God in spiritual conversation in a way that's interesting and in a way that probably is, you know, you're not going to be distracted. Uh, I told my kids last night, I said, I can't pray with my eyes closed. Can't do it. Close my eyes and my mind goes to a hundred other places. So pray with your eyes open. That's okay. Okay, so we're going to pray. We're going to read scripture. What are some other things you do to train yourself to be godly? Yeah, Joan. Yeah. Yeah. So so we can use this technology for good, can't we? We you know the right the right teachers on on YouTube. Um, 
you know, your Spotify or Pandora, Amazon Music, whatever you like to use, you know, build a playlist that's going to fill your mind with the things of God and biblical truth and a focus on the gospel. And even if that's just in the background, have you noticed how that changes you? You know, we, we get exposure through Christian music too, the right, good Christian music. Um, yeah, the, the, but you know, the, this word train, you may know it's, it's an athletic term. So th- th- this is like, if, if I were to, um, talk to the, let's talk to the Wallace boys back there. Okay. Cause you guys do sports. Um, when you do sports, you come out in the field and the coach says, um, okay, just kind of do what you want to do. And the game's on Saturday. Is that what he does? What does he do? Like, what, what's it like? Just give me a couple examples. Running, running how far? Like a couple steps or laps around? Okay, okay, all right, yeah. What else? Drills and plays. Okay. Have you noticed this? Sports is about training. It's about running, drills, practice, learning new things, practicing those things. Like one time, right? No, like over and over and over and over. Okay. That's, guys, that's the metaphor here. Do we think of our spiritual health, our spiritual lives, like equipping ourselves, training ourselves in a sport? There's repetition, there's practice, there's learning, there's drills, there's running things over, there's the film room, we did this wrong, let's do this different next time, right? That's called, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts, where am I off, what was I doing right, how can I change? That, that's, that's the arena of what we're talking about here. And uh, so again, I, we, I am spending six weeks, six weeks on this, I will resist the temptation to do that, but, but that, that's, that's so helpful, isn't it? Now, now listen to the analogy. Since it's a sports term, he, he's going to say this, you know, uh, train yourself, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. So going to the YMCA is good. In fact, Paul's going to say in another place that he, he buffets his body and he makes it his slave. So it is, athletics is good because it trains you to tell your body what to do rather than let your body tell you what to do. That's where athletics can be, I think, sanctified. Exercise can be sanctified beyond the fact that it's, it's good for our physical health. But here's what he's saying. If you spend all your day at the YMCA and you don't do any training in the spiritual gymnasium, well, guess what? That's only of little profit. Whereas godliness benefits you now and, ben- and godliness benefits you from all of eternity. So he says, that's where you set your, uh, that's where you really, really work hard, right? Godliness is profitable for all things. It holds promise for this life and also for the life to come. Verse 9, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Verse 10, for it is this that we labor and strive. Now stop right there. What's the this? Let's go back. Let's look at it. Paul's the king of the run-on sentence, so, you know, sometimes we get lost here. Um, For it is this that we labor and strive. Okay, what is verse 9 about? It's a a trustworthy statement. What's a trustworthy statement? Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. So what's the this? Training yourself to be godly. That's the this. Now look at what he says. For this, training yourself to be godly. Bodily discipline's good. Godliness is better. This, train yourself to be godly. This is what we labor and strive for. He's pretty serious about this, isn't he? 
he's pretty serious about what we're doing in our walk with Christ, in our training. To, and, and just when we think, oh, yeah, this i got to work hard and hit the spiritual gymnasium and this is good, you know, I'm going to do all this and do that, he says, don't forget, we labor and strive toward godliness, toward Christ-likeness. How? Look at verse 10. Um, for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. I want you to see that it is gospel motivation that should energize and fuel and direct all of our efforts to be more like Christ. This is a gospel-driven spiritual gymnasium exercise. Not a Christ. We, we, we can do it without Christ, can't we? I'm just going to do this and do that. And it's, it's we are fixing our hope on the living God and the work of Christ. And as we value him and want to honor him, and, and that's our treasure and that's our joy, that's what then motivates us to get out and train ourselves that day. Do you see that? It's gospel-driven. Um, so we fix our hope on Christ and we train ourselves to be godly. I, I think, and I'll just speak for myself, I think that there is some spiritual flabbiness that we all need to get rid of. Let's think about that. Let's make a different. Let's do some stuff different this week. Let's talk to each other. Let's strategize and say, "Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'll hold you accountable. How about this? Let's try. Let's do that as we fix our hope on the living God and, and value our Savior in our effort." Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So let's just, uh, let's just peek at chapter four, verse 11, and then we'll call it a morning. Okay. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. I want to talk just a moment. He's going to say, you know, direct and teach biblical truths. I want to focus on the second one here. Be an intentional example of godliness, regardless of your age. I want to talk to the young folks here. Okay. I want to challenge you to memorize 1 Timothy 4.12 if you haven't already done so. Because what Paul is saying is this Christ-focused pursuit of godliness is not something that you start in middle age. This is something you start now. So high school students, uh, college-age students, uh, young people, this is God's will for your life, and you're not too young to start it. Okay? Let no one look down on the fact that you're young. Don't, meaning, don't say, well, I'm just a high school student, so uh, you old people, get on here, and you know, I'm just going to keep doing what high school students do. That, he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Don't use your youth as an excuse to not train yourself to be like Jesus. That's what he's saying. Okay, will you do it? Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. And uh, I, 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 think, I think it would be great if, if the youth and young people of Grace Bible Church led the charge here. Okay, so I want to challenge you guys with that. And fix your eyes on Christ. Train yourself to be godly. Be, be an enigma in your generation. 
by taking a walk with Christ seriously. And uh, I'm grateful because as I look around the room, I see a lot of young people that are doing just that. So you guys keep it up and, and take and heed what Paul's saying here to you. Don't let your age be an excuse to not pursue Christ in a serious way. Okay? And we old people are going to try to be a good example to you and a, and a help to you and an encouragement to you while you do that. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for uh, the, the work of Christ. And as we fix our eyes on him and our hope on him, that, that we would get serious in, in, in the spiritual, athletic world of training ourselves to be more like Christ, to train ourselves for godliness. Uh, Lord, might we use this week to identify areas of worldliness and exposure and and, and silly talk and, and habits that we've developed and entertainment that's unhelpful and, and and all the rest that, that we might reset and, and change some of these things because we've set our hope on the living God. And, and we want to honor Him in everything. And, and so we want to get serious to remove spiritual flabbiness from our life and grow in the spiritual strength of Christ-likeness. Lord, guide us in that. We pray for our young people uh, that they would heed that this verse is for them and that they would not use their age as an excuse or as a distraction uh, to pursue you in in serious and adult and mature ways. Uh, Help us to be a blessing to them as they do. And uh, we're grateful uh, that you guide us and direct us, that that we might be a people that is healthy uh, before you, a people that are healthy before you and and effective in a lost world that needs the light of the gospel. Uh, Lord, make make us to be faithful in these things for your glory in Christ's name.